there, welcome to episode two of the Anime Boston podcast. This is head producer Lauren Gallo. In this episode, which is slightly longer, I sat down last fall of 2021 with host producer Livy Keen to talk about my first impressions of Japan. Just as a disclaimer so the dates are clear, I went to Japan in the end of January, beginning of February 2020. Um, we recorded this interview in 2021. So at points in this episode when I referred to this year or things that ended up not happening this year, I mean 2021. Just putting this out there so there's no confusion. And I hope you enjoy my first impressions of Japan and just know that I tried my very best not to spend too much time talking about my love and appreciation of Japanese 7-Eleven and other convenience stores, aka Kombini. And for those interested, there will be a future episode where I talk more in detail about my first onsen experience. Spoilers, we talk about onsens in this episode very briefly, and I hope you enjoy. I'm Lee Keen, and I am sitting down here with Lauren Gallo, who has been a member of Anime Boston staff since days long, long gone by. Mm-hmm. Um, Lauren very recently went to Japan for the first time, and as Japan is a place that is near and dear to the hearts of many Anime Boston people for perhaps obvious reasons, she has kindly agreed to sit down and share some of her experiences with us. Yeah. So, Lauren, my first question whenever I ask somebody about Japan is, what was the first thing you noticed when you got out of the airport? The first thing I noticed when I got out of the airport is, one, how clean the airport was. And two, and this is a thing I always notice in other countries, and it's such a strange thing to notice, bathrooms are so much more private, like bathroom doors, yeah. compared to America, where I feel like they're just like, secret spy peoples. So I went to the end of last January 2020 before things really shut down oh, on COVID. Wow. Okay. And you the air out just in time. Mm-hmm. The airport was totally branded for the Olympics. So that was fun. I actually have a picture with that. I also landed at like late at like seven o'clock at night. So I was like, okay, I gotta go get my things. I gotta go get my I gotta go get my Suiza pass, my IC card, which is like the IC card. Yeah. Basically, that's another nice thing about Japan. If you've never been to Japan, if you're just gonna be chilling in Tokyo, one of the a really good thing to get is if you're gonna use public transport or things is to get it's a Suiza card. It's S U. ICA, but they call them IC cards, and you can, I believe, order your card ahead of time, and you will be able to pick it up in the airport. I think you get it at the Eastern Japan Rail Desk. I want to say it depends a little bit. So if you are coming to Japan on a tourist visa, Mm. you can qualify for the JR Pass, which I can't really speak to because I was there on a work visa, Mm. which doesn't qualify you for that. So I just remember being jealous of the people who got it. (laughs) But you can just, you can get a Suica card at any... um, Kombini. At any train station ticket terminal. They'll they'll like print out a new one for you. And there's a train station subway terminal, you know, in the airport because that's how Japan is set up. There's a subway terminal pretty much literally everywhere. So you just go, you find the the one terminal in the line that, you know, actually bothers to have an English translation and it walks you through the process. It helps if you have cash at that point because it can be hit or miss with getting a credit card to take in a vending machine. Mm. But um, you don't really need to plan ahead for it. You can just, you know, go and plug it in and 
We were staying in Ginza, which, because it was the end of January, it was actually, like, pretty quiet in the neighborhood, which was very nice. So I just had to take the train line, which turned into one of the subway lines. And it, yep. was, it was a pretty straight shoot, too, because the where we were staying in Ginza, the subway was only about, like, like a 10-15 minute walk away. That's another fun thing in Japan. I did a lot of reading ahead. In Japan, with subways and train lines, it's not necessarily that a train line you get off and then you get on a subway line. A train line can turn into a subway line. You could literally be on like a Toei subway line and it will turn into a subway line that's owned by another company, if you're not careful. So that's why things like the like PASMO or the IC Pass come in handy. I didn't get the JR Pass because... I wasn't going to be taking rail outside of Tokyo. Yeah, so at that point. So that's when you want it. Like, you really should. Like, that's the thing. Like, I think people feel like they're, they should, they're just going to go and just, just get the JR Pass. But that's not always cost efficient. You really should look. Because no. if you're not going to be going outside of Tokyo. If you're not going to take the Shinkansen or any trains outside of Tokyo. And you're pretty much just going to ride the subway and such. You don't need a JR Pass. I mean, even if you're no. just going to do like a. Tokyo to Kyoto and back. Also, look at the prices because, like, the JR Pass also isn't always cheaper. No. So for me, I were gonna plan was we were gonna be in Tokyo for a few days and then we were gonna go up to Sapporo and Hokkaido for the snow festival. So it didn't make sense to get the JR Rail Pass. So I got the IC card because I could also use it in um, Sapporo. So, you know, the IC card worked for me, and my favorite thing about it was not only is you as your subway pass, I could use it to buy my snacks at the Kumbini. 7-Eleven and I, I became very big besties while I was in Japan. So, yeah, this was my, it was my first trip to Japan, and I'm actually, this is so funny, I'm actually glad I waited until I was older to go and had gotten over my very rampant weeb phase in my 20s. Well, one, travel research wasn't as good then back then in the early 2000s is now but also I would have never been mentally prepared to be honest I think I mean like if you're an anime and you're a manga fan and you're you're going to Japan based on that alone I mean you're still gonna have a good time you're gonna be hanging out and probably Akihabara and stuff but I was kind of glad that I went kind of after I got over the peak of that phase because I think it helped me appreciate a lot of the everyday and cultural stuff a little bit better than just hanging out in Akihabara, which I actually only spent like an hour in Akihabara. So sort of using that as a jumping off point, you mentioned that you spent some time at the Sapporo Snow Festival. Yeah. Now for those of us, those of our listeners who are unfamiliar, the Sapporo Snow and Ice Festival is a very, very, very big deal in Japan. There are all of these beautiful ice sculptures. There's lots of really exciting food. I've heard that there are these massive, mm -hmm. massive snowball fights with like, you know, capture flag rules almost. Would you be willing to speak to that experience? Sure. So... <laughs> So I would say that the intention was we went to Sapporo for the snow festival. But what happened in actuality was day or two before I was flying out to Tokyo, I started to get sick with a sinus with like a sinus cold. So I was actually sick like the entire time we were in Japan because I went with some friends who are actually on staff. And a part, big part of the trip is we went out for one of our staffer, Doug's, if you've ever gone to mecha panels or stuff Doug Wilder has probably run them it was his birthday and we went out to go see the snow festival but also he really wanted to go to Otaru in Hokkaido so it was a fun group trip with a couple of us and so the intention was to go to the snow festival but as things go I ended up being pretty sick and I had a pretty bad head cold which in winter is so 
like, and when you have to wear masks, that was pretty difficult. So I was kind of, I was kind of out of it on cold medicine. And then I didn't account for the fact that it's super slippery going through the snow festival because it's kind of that hard icy snow so I was a little worn down so I actually unfortunately didn't get to see a lot of the festival but definitely the sculptures we did walk through a bit the sculptures are so cool like they had like this full-on like town hall replica of something that I think it's like some sort of eastern European building there was I want to say an Attack on Titan one. There was some Dragon Ball Z ones, like traditional cultural ones. And then they were also selling things like, I think there was hot mojitos, you know, Japanese festival snacks. There were the sledding slide things. I didn't see the snowball fighting. I missed that part because Tori Park, where it's held, it's actually a pretty long park. So, and it was also because I should have been smart and gotten like the snow the snowshoe attachment thing or like the little wow. attachment at Don Quixote. I should have bought that so that I could stay on my feet better because I was actually struggling quite a bit to actually walk through the festival. I don't have good balance. So that was so on top of being sick, that was a challenge. But what I did see was really cool and even outside the festival there were some temples in the surrounding Sapporo area that they were making snow sculptures. So we went I, I forget the name of the temple complex. It might have been, like, the Mariyama complex, but they were definitely making, like, snow ogres and snow oni, which was really cool out there. So I definitely want to go back to Sapporo really, really bad to redo the snow festival because I feel like I missed a lot of that experience. But I do get to see a pretty fair amount of the city in terms of we were staying in Suskino, which is pretty near the festival and it's where the famous ramen alley is so I got to like do things like go to the famous ramen alley in Sapporo to get miso ramen just like my favorite style you know we went out to Nika distillery out in Yoichi which is a really good whiskey distillery and got to do we went to this really great onsen town called Jozanke which is about 40 45 minutes outside of Sapporo it was really nice we found this really good hot spring I think it's called Hoheikyu onsen it was so nice it was my first time actually going in an onsen and I really wasn't going to because I am super self-conscious so I would have never thought that I'm gonna like you know get butt naked and go in an onsen but I think it was that point in the trip where I was like I was kind of crummy sitting in hot water sounded really really great and I was just like whatever I'm in Japan let me do it and I'm actually really glad I did it because that was Definitely one of my favorite things on the trip. And we did spend a couple of days in Tokyo. So like I saw Ueno Park, went to Akihabara. Ginza was really nice. So we went to Odaiba, we went to Borderless. So I saw definitely some cool things. I definitely need to go back and explore Tokyo more. But I think, and it could have also been because my sense of smell came back in Hokkaido. I actually feel like I actually liked Hokkaido a little bit better. And I think it's because I'm from New England and Hokkaido is kind of like Japan's New England and Canada. And I normally don't like snow either, but I just think I maybe it's sometimes. And I was talking to our friend who coordinated this trip, Hope, who who leads the formal ball at AB. She and I were talking about it, and we both agreed that sometimes we're just second city people. And I think Sapporo is a little calmer. I mean, it's still a busy Japanese city, but it's got a like an easier vibe of navigating, and le- it's less overwhelming than Tokyo. Tokyo is the big city. It's and very like, big. A certain. There's a certain big city vibe, and every country has their big city, and there's almost, like, more difference in going between 
the big city and the countryside within your own country than there is jumping between the big city in the United States and the big city mm. in, you know, England and the mm-hmm. big city in Japan to, like, a certain extent. Yeah, because, right. I mean, I grew up outside of New York. I used to go into Manhattan and stuff all the time. Now I live near San Francisco. I've gone to London frequently. But Tokyo is incredibly overwhelming. It's probably one of... It's it's wonderful, but it is also probably one of the most overwhelming cities. Just of the sheer size and getting around. And I would say a good piece of advice that I got from some friends who've gone, and I, I partially wrote this. If you're going to Tokyo for the first time and you are kind of an otaku and you kind of want to see the core things people always talk about, the Yamanote line is what you want to ride. It's a JR line makes beautiful makes adorable music but it does what's it's it's basically a loop around most of central tokyo and it's gonna hit like the main neighborhoods like shinjuku akihabara and the places that you pretty much always hear about so if you want an easier time exploring you can literally just ride the yamanote line and hop on and hop off for kind of where you want to go and it makes it really easy Instead of trying to navigate the, I think it's three privately owned main subway lines in there's some ancillary subway lines. And then there's the lines owned by JR Rail and can sometimes struggle. But I found it actually fairly straightforward to find where you're needing to go. Like there's signage everywhere. And even if you get slightly turned around, it's fine. The stations are fine. It's There's worse stations to be lost in. And it's like... Take a breath, go to one of the vending machines. It'll have anything you need, hot or cold water. Get yourselves one of those fruit waters that have different fruits per region, which I enjoyed. I loved the peach flavored water and the Hokkaido had, I think this like special grape or blueberry flavored water. I fell in love with it so much. They had this other thing and it was 7-Eleven specific and I super, super loved it. It was this tonkonsu ramen rice <gasps> onigiri thing that had half, half an ajitama egg with like a, just a that little sounds... strip of nori around it. It was so good. Amazing. It was amazing. I can never recreate this. Nobody here, so, I mean, you would think somebody would open up a facsimile to a convenience in San Francisco, Japan town. Nope. That is the only place, it, it only exists huh. in 7-Elevens in Japan and it was so good. So and like- You get access to West Coast Japan towns too. I know, um, I know they don't, they don't. And huh. so, buy breakfast every morning because it was cheap it was like it was like it ended up being like two or three hundred yen i just get like a pizza bun a little tonkatsu and then like a like a 7-eleven latte or something because their coffee there is actually pretty good and boss coffee like straight up boss coffee is too strong for me so okay. and i have anxiety disorder so i have to be careful but oh, man pizza bun was so and it's 7-Eleven one. I did try them at all three convenience, and I actually preferred the 7-Eleven one the best. Similarly, what was your favorite thing to get from the vending machines when you were in Japan? Oh my god, that fruit water. The fruit water. The fruit-flavored waters. And they're not, like, super, super sweet either. They're just, like, kind of just lightly sweet, like, um, just, like, these fruity, delicious fruity-flavored waters, like... I'm telling you, I like lived on the peach and the grape ones. I loved them and they were so cheap because they were only like a hundred something yen. So I'm like, because like the thing I think I thought was grape in Hokkaido might have actually been blueberry. So I make it sound um, like all I ate was kombini, but like, no, like I went to a really great like yaki, yakiniku place 
that was around the corner from a hotel that Hope found that was decently priced when I still kind of had the ability to taste. That was pretty affordable. So if you've never done that in Japan, yakiniku, it's like where you, it's, it's sort of similar to like Korean barbecue. It's sort of like where you go and you get a set 90 minutes of all you can eat meat. And that's where you find the one that has probably good, like a five wagyu or it's, if you love beef, you're going to go there. And you have to find a good place because some places they give you the 90 minute limit, but then service is kind of slow. So you don't eat too much. But we forgot, we f I forget the name of it, but we found a good yakiniku place around the corner. And then obviously I got ramen at a real ramen place. We did go to Sapporo Beer Garden, which also similarly, like the thing, the thing in Sapporo that's really popular, the popular dish is Genghis Khan. It's like this lamb, you grill it with veggies and things. Now, I don't eat lamb, so they got me some beef and things, but at that point I couldn't taste. So, but whatever, I was just happy with, I'm happy with a cow. But yeah, Gen Genghis Khan is like the big dish in Sapporo and in that part of Japan in Northern Japan. So it's, when, yeah. When I was teaching English in Japan, um, I had a student come up and, you know, what did you do over winter break? And his entire essay was he went to Sapporo to eat Genghis Khan and that got looks of such jealousy on the face of yeah. the rest of the 13 year olds in class with him. It was like a big deal to get to go there to eat the famous food. I mean, I sort of get it because I guess lamb isn't, it's not super regional that way. And it could be that like maybe the good lamb is just super specific yeah. there, but it's like, you know, you go to Sapporo Beer Garden, which is also kind of like a, a, a good thing. thing to do. And they have different halls you can eat in and you just go with a bunch of friends. You get your like your little your little grilling stations and they have a bunch more food like even if you don't like if you actually bring somebody to japan who actually doesn't like asian food which i have i'm like okay it happens whatever they have other things too if you're a picky eater which is nice that had some melon there soda there are four different kinds of fried chicken you'll be fine well they had just like other things like like pizza and random yeah. americanized stuff i had like a melon soda i couldn't taste it but i could feel the fizziness but that was really nice. Like we went to the Full Metal Alchemist Cafe and I had, what did I have there? I feel like I had a stew or something and that was good. But the burnt, the, the, the Roy burnt cheesecake, it was like a Basque burnt cheesecake. That was really good. So can you talk a little bit more about these, these themed cafes and oh, yeah. provide some background context information? Yeah. So in Japan, there is a lot of these theme cafes where like existing cafes will get will do brand takeovers so certain properties that are really popular in japan will set up like a pop-up cafe so we went to inakia bar it was a full metal ca alchemist cafe so what it was was it was themed with full metal alchemist and you could buy special merch there that you can't get anywhere else and they have a, a menu and it'll usually be a menu of special drinks alcoholic or non-alcoholic or some coffee and tea drinks usually it'll be like a short menu of lunch or like lunch or cafe things like like a burger like a salad or like a curry or like a pasta dish or something like that and like maybe a couple appetizers and like a dessert situation and they'll be themed to the title. They did a Sailor Moon one before I went to Japan and I was actually sad that I missed that because I love Sailor Moon. And it's just sort of like you get coasters and you'll get like different coasters. Everybody got different coasters. I think I got one of Alphonse. That is for my friend Shelly that I still need to give to her and it's been over a year and a half, but COVID. And there was like, when we went, I think there was special merch of like Ed and Al as bunnies. 
And the Ed one sold out immediately. So it's sort of like a really special fan experience to just like do this thing where you have like a themed meal of like one of your favorite shows and you can buy exclusive merch. And then because we went around the time Rise of Skywalker had come out, they had done a, there was a Star Wars themed one that was sort of in the back of this store that it was like if Bath and Body Works and Michaels had a love child. Oh, yes. It was okay. it was in a very random spot, I'll be honest. And no, so we went there. We went into that little cafe back there. And even though I got accidental seafood, it was still pretty fun. We were going to the Snow Candle Way fe- little festival at the Dejanke Shrine, which is really, really pretty. It's all these candles lined up that are made of ice and snow. And then you can make like your own snow candle. Their mascot for that area is a kappa. It's Capon or Capabilly. Like their tour mascot official is like Capon or Capa something. It's so adorable. The, the They had the mascot there all dressed up. We got pictures with it. I was dying. I loved it. It was so cute. And the shrine is really cool. It's like a small shrine and you had all the candles and then it was shaped like a heart. You can walk up the little path that's next to the shrine. So we were going to go do that that night. And we had some time to kill, so we're like, let's go out to Jazanke. Let's, like, see what's up out in Jazanke, because there was also some out that way. But we had some time to kill in between, so we were, like, trying to figure out what to do. And I looked up Jazanke, and I was like, hey, there was an onsen. There's actually a pretty nice-looking onsen that's around here. It's called the Heiku, and it's got, like, really good outdoor hot spring, but it's also got, like, apparently like a like a Japanese Indian menu that they're really well known for and you can just kind of also just if you don't want to go in the hot spring you can go chill out inside and they're a little like chill out cafe lounge restaurant area and you can like drink beer and like eat fried chicken or curry or they have like little massage chairs or massages and things like that so so we went out there and we did a couple of us did the hot springs we hung out in the hot spring i think for like an hour okay so my last sort of question for you and then i think it'll be a good time to put a pin in this pause yeah did you do any traditional japanese culture things while you were there you and so what did you do what was your favorite talk to that experience so we did a couple things so when we were in tokyo we had some time like we we'd all split up in groups not about how much this counts as a cultural thing hope and i wandered actually around a little bit and we passed by a kubiki theater and we found this temple that temple slash church i don't know religion was but it was almost like this part asian part catholic church and we were walking through that and that was pretty neat when we were in hokkaido when we went to the mariyama shrine shrine complex there was this thing where i guess it was this, that certain day where you buy i think it's either a sweet or a savory rolled up treat and you have to face a particular direction, you have to make a wish, and then you have to eat the whole thing without stopping or saying anything for it to come true. I did not do very well on that, but the strawberry roll thing was really great. I forget what the name of this is. Elliot was telling us about this. So that was a special, because they were selling them at the shrines. So that was one of the cultural things we did. And I mean, I guess going into the hot spring is cultural. Like doing things at the snow festival was pretty cultural. Making, I didn't, but Doug and our friend, I think Caitlin, made their own candles Aww. at the snow festival and things like I, you know I wanted to do more cultural things and in my head I was gonna do them but I was just so sick 
that I did not have that energy for a lot of things. So I feel like next time I go to Japan, God willing, my immune system comes through. That's going to be like my apology tour of doing more of the um, cultural things I wanted to do. Because I would love to go back and hopefully maybe next fall go see more festivals. There's some, apparently fall is a really great time for it, some festivals. And I yeah. like up here in San Francisco, we, there, Japantown does a sort of Oban situation in July, around July, but I don't think they did it this year. But I think it would be fun to do more cultural well, things. It's usually the, the second or third week of August, so. But yeah, I don't think they could do it this year. Okay, so yeah, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me this afternoon, or evening. Right, we're going to go with the evening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Anime Boston podcast presented by the Anime Boston Convention. This is a volunteer effort and a labor of love and is presented to you by the podcast staff, Lauren Gallo, Bogolu, George Yazbak, Mitch Stern, Nanvo, Olivia Keen, and Todd the Todd Father Whitney. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.